You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, episode 11, Fireball, 25th Anniversary Edition. I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And I'm your co-host, John Matola. And this is the show where we just kind of talk about Deep Purple, all things Deep Purple. Right now we're reviewing the albums and we are up to the Fireball 25th Anniversary Edition album. If you want to keep up to date on the show, you can subscribe in Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. You can also subscribe on YouTube or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All of that information is at deeppurplepodcast.com. And if you like what you hear and want to support the show, you can become a patron on Patreon. And the best way to spread the word and get new people to listen to the show is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We haven't gotten any reviews recently, so please check it out. So how you been doing, John? Very good. How are you? Excellent. <laughs> I think we already know we talked for like a half hour before we even recorded. Hey, don't pay any attention to that man behind the curtain. Oh, no, I ruined the magic. The magic. Oh, we know we, you just picked up the phone. We're on a landline and we're catching up. Oh, yeah. Um, hey, so, uh, yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, we were talking for 25 minutes about uh, being, being from Rhode Island and people thinking you're from Long Island. So, um, so I got a, just a couple of... Uh, a couple quick updates. Um, one is that this morning, or I'm sorry, this early afternoon, I was a guest on the Alpha Metallica podcast with Tom from that podcast, and it was a ton of fun. We talked about Deep Purple and Deep Purple's influence on Metallica and my history with Metallica. So you should definitely check that podcast out. We'll have a link in the show notes. And uh, that he said he wasn't sure when it would be out, but probably in the next couple of weeks. So you should check it out. Uh, it's a really great podcast. He goes through and ranks all, or not ranks, but reviews all of the Metallica songs in alphabetic, <laughs> alphabetical <laughs> order. In alphabetic order. So really, really that cool. That makes sense. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, the the, have you heard the, Metallica Ronnie Rising medley. Um, oh, you know what? I how, how old is that? Uh, hmm, that's a good question. A few a few years old. I feel like I have and I I remember thinking it was like really cool because they've done they've done a few of those things, right? They had like a uh, a Merciful Fate um like medley. I think I remember I definitely remember that one because I thought it was really cool. Um and I do remember a Ronnie medley, I think. Like I I haven't heard it as many times, but um yeah, I forgot about that. And uh, they also do the uh cover of When a Blind Man Cries. I think I remember that which too. Which is uh which is actually excellent. Um you know, I was saying on the show like when I heard Metallica covered that song. I was like, oh my God, James Hetfield singing Ian Gillen. Mm, that seems a little weird, but he does a great job. You know, like you're just so used to him just being James Hetfield. I mean, rah, you know, like, you know, trapped under rice, you know, like you don't think of him as doing like as much, you know, he did some like in some of their slower songs, but um, he does a really great job with it. And they, they really start off very faithful to the original. And then just by the end, it's like, this is a Metallica song and they do a, a really good job. I'd recommend checking it out. 
and definitely check out that episode when it comes out. Um, so the other thing I had to review, and I'm you know a little rusty. We skipped recording last week because I was on vacation. We banked an episode, so I'm a little rusty here. So you have to give me a chance to uh, get my bearings here. But last week we talked about this um, picture which you thought was hilarious, of Ian Pace sitting at his drum set there, uh, not looking happy like he <laughs> has this bad uh, taste in his mouth. And um, our old friend Mike Healy on Twitter brought up that he's drinking the Boy Howdy beer in that picture from Cream Magazine. Are you familiar with that? Uh, no. I wasn't really either. Um, and I did, you know, he, he kind of... Uh, turned me on to it and I did a little research and it's basically um, <clears throat> they had this kind of mascot for the magazine and they would had these these beer cans that they would hang hand out to uh, rock musicians and get them to pose with them and, and be like oh this beer is great like like kind of like a, a a gimmick sort of thing and um, that's what the can looked like uh, <laughs> It appears that the can was actually just filled with water, but it looks like Ian Pace, rather than pretending like he really loved the beer, he was just, um, you know, pretending it was awful. <laughs> Disgusted by so, it. So I don't know if that was a dig on Cream Magazine or if he was just, um, you know, just uh, poking a little fun. Um, and we talked about this a little bit, and then the official Cream Magazine Twitter chimed in and uh, uh, when we were talking about it, so it was kind of cool to see. Um, there's a picture of John Lennon sporting the uh, the Boy Howdy t-shirt. And the next one's a band that you may have heard of, uh, posing with the yeah. beer cans. So, yep, that's so, their first uh, photo session with Cream Magazine. So uh, do you recognize the photo? Yes. Yep, they actually, if I'm not mistaken, they had done two photo shoots with them, and this is the infamous one where they... Uh, Cream supposedly duped them into taking pictures without their makeup on, which there are from that same session. And then these pictures are obviously with the makeup. Oh, and really? um, they actually held off on. Um, and of course, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, anybody out there that knows about Kiss, but uh, I know a little minutia, but it's like, I think that's they had held back from publishing those pictures non-makeup until years later. And is that um, one of the ones we were talking about in the last episode where they po they pu they published the pictures, but they had the wrong names? I don't think so. so I, I remember that from your your Kiss book where it was like, it shows like Paul Stanley's face and it says Gene Simmons under it or whatever. You know, they, like, they yeah. had like Kiss Uncovered, but they didn't actually know who anybody was. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that might be different, but it's, it's funny because like all of the, all of the guys were wearing sunglasses in the non-makeup pictures. So it's, it's almost oh. like you couldn't tell who they were anyway. So, but that's not the point, but yeah, this was um, definitely a, um, a iconic photo shoot. And uh, actually looking at it now, I remember the, the drinks. I just don't remember the, um, that being like the, the famous cream magazine beer. Right. You probably missed on the, the significance of that as I did as well. And then there's a yeah. cover of it with uh, Alice Cooper. Um <laughs> on the cover of the magazine holding up a can of uh, beer and it says Alice Cooper's alcohol cookbook. <laughs> I don't know if that's and a, true. And if a cute little, cute little word bubble, you know. Like, like I'd love to um, 
uh, get a gander at his uh, his alcohol cookbook. But so that was just a little update from our uh, the little thing, the little tangent we went off on last week um, with that picture because it's just a hilarious picture of Ian Pace like reacting like he's drinking battery acid or something. Um, <laughs> um, all right, so. This week, you know, probably a, probably a shorter episode. We did our 25th anniversary in rock episode. It was a little shorter, which um, may not be a bad thing. But when we covered uh, covered Fireball, we went pretty in depth. And uh, you know, the feedback I'm getting and the feedback I got from Tom at Alpha Metallica was they really appreciated the length and the the depth that we dive into these albums and and, and go into things. So that's really nice. um, encouraging to hear. Um, you know. I talked about it a little on that podcast and I, you know, to me, I feel like we're just kind of getting our footing right now and getting comfortable with the, the format. And I think, you know, as time goes on, we'll, we'll get, we're, we're getting into our rhythm now. And I, I, I my thoughts are that we'll kind of get through this original, uh, you know, through 1976 cover, come taste the band and then maybe like made in Europe and then just kind of, step back a bit and say, where are we going to go from here? You know, the, the, I, I don't, I don't necessarily foresee us immediately diving into their, their comeback uh, with, with Ian Gillen and Roger, but more like diving it back into the late sixties and early seventies on some of those deeper dive things we've talked about before, you know, there's Jesus Christ superstar, there's the butterfly ball, there's the wizards convention, there's the captain beyond, there's all this, all this stuff that we could really get into and I don't think it necessarily has to be chronological, but it, you know we can we can jump around a bit and cover kind of what we want to cover, and eventually later get to some of those later Deep Purple albums. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, my computer just flashed that I am no longer protected from viruses. So that's, oh, man. should we uh, should we just that's, just call it quits? That's, just, that's no bueno. <laughs> Um, no, that just shows you how long it's been. Like we skipped a week of recording and I didn't renew, <laughs> renew my antivirus protection. So, Oh my goodness. Whoops. Well, somehow we're going to struggle through this episode and get through it. Hopefully you're not the, uh, this isn't the start of a great North American botnet. Oh, um, <laughs> okay. So, uh, when we look at, uh, the, the, the booklet for, the 25th anniversary edition. It's really great booklet. Um, you know, these, these 25th anniversary editions, which not all the albums have it. They're, they're kind of, uh, hit or miss, which albums have them and which don't, uh, the fireball has a great one. Um, they kind of show, this is the, uh, the place where they were recording the album. Wow. Nice. That's actually the van parked outside the album, unloading all of their equipment. Uh, it says photographed by Roger Glover, but he must have been in a helicopter or something, unless there was a giant mountain next to where they were recording, like um, mm -hmm. or a big hill, uh, and he was maybe using a zoom lens. But um, it's it called the uh, the the Welcome Manor in Devonshire. Welcome spelled W E L C O M B E, and that's where Fireball album uh, was was uh, written and produced. I've uh, got some great band photos here of uh, Richie, Ian, and Roger in the studio laying down some <clears throat> tracks. Uh, all of these booklets contain a lot of really cool little snippets and things from magazines and newspapers. Some great studio photos of John Lord and Ian Pace right there. A little advertisement. Deep Purple's great new single, Strange Kind of Woman, is now available on Harvest. 
where they had moved to after Tetragrammaton collapsed. Uh, some more photos of Richie and Roger. Band shot. A hunky Ian Gillen photo uh, <laughs> at Delane Lay uh, during the Fireball album session. So that must have been uh, when they were recording some songs there. This one is a uh, Fireball, Deep Purple's Fireball. The title track of their current album is being released as a single following public demand for the further track. It'll be released on October 29th, coupled with Demon's Eye, John Lord's Gemini Suite recording just released in Britain on Purple's label and is the first Purple release in America under a new agreement by Cap uh, for Capital. Deep Purple leave for a four and a half week tour of America and Canada this week. They open their tour at Felt Forum in Madison Square Gardens, New York, on Friday, October 22nd. So announcing their tour there. And then it says, uh, Deep Purple in concert with Ashton Gardner and Dyke, who they would have been performing with at the time. It's pretty cool. Um, all of these booklets kind of have some interesting stuff by Simon Robinson, who writes some great stuff. And then like the second half of them, um, at least in Rock, Fireball, and uh, Machine Head, have like a... Uh, retrospective by Roger Glover writing what, what he remembers from the time and things like that. So that's really cool. Um, some in the studio shots, a little picture of the wasp there down in the left-hand corner. <laughs> and uh, uh, announcing them playing at the Royal Albert Hall. Who's that on the right? Like cooking something in a purple shirt. That is Ron Quinton staring at a... What? Staring at a mixed gorilla. Okay. I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm not reading that incorrectly, right? At a mixed gorilla. All snaps from Welcome taken by Roger Glover. So they must have been, he must have been um, one of the assistants there helping out with the recording. Um, a mixed gorilla? I don't know what that means. Um, maybe some kind of uh, English dish? Yeah, my, yeah, it's probably like baked beans and franks or something. Um <laughs> Uh, then there's some little, little promo poster for Strange Kind of Woman in the Fireball singles. Uh, the concept art we talked about last week of that, that Roger Glover had drawn for the album cover um, of the Fireball. And uh, some international releases there. Um, that's about it. So it's really cool. Cool little booklet. A lot of great stories in there. A lot of great pictures, behind the scenes stuff. Definitely worth uh, picking up and checking out. So, for, um, uh, sorry, Google Calendars is alerting me that we have a meeting starting now, <laughs> so, which I am aware of. Uh, so, one of the things mentioned in the book uh, is, I guess they had talked to Ian Gillen for the, for the 25th anniversary of In Rock, and he kind of lended some quotes. And when they talked to him about Fireball, he said, uh, I can't remember anything. <laughs> uh, and kind of pointing to the fact that uh, what was said by some of his bandmates is that he was drinking a lot at that time. So uh, he doesn't really have too much of a memory of, of, uh, of the recording. <laughs> um, so wow. they, they talked also in this booklet about how, when they were doing that famous Hollywood bowl concert where the, the score for the concerto just blew into the ocean <laughs> was lost forever. <laughs> um, they talked yeah. about how, they were kind of doing this Hollywood Bowl as a kind of a way to promote and push forward Fireball the same way that the original concerto had done within Rock didn't really work 
the same way. They were hoping that they could get that same sort of support in America that they had gotten back home within rock, but it didn't really work out. You know, th- those kinds of things really tend to happen organically. And it, they were trying to kind of repeat the magic from that and it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So for uh, album, for the album of, uh, for the album tracks, we start off with uh, Strange Kind of Woman. And as we talked about on the last episode, this was a little new to us with the 25th anniversary in that this was on the American version uh, in place of Demon's Eye. So this was a song that we were more familiar with than Demon's Eye by a lot. It's a great song and it makes me, I, I think I first heard this when I heard their like 80s reunion tour when them doing this probably, they probably must have done a version of it on Nobody's Perfect or something. Yeah. But it does continue to raise the question of why they would, you know, it seemed like they were just, they just thought that seven tracks was the most you could possibly put on a record. Like it makes you wonder why they wouldn't just try to squeeze this one in there too. They're both great songs. Yeah, definitely really like, really melodic, great performance. It's a great single. Yeah, it's really catchy. It's a, it's like a head bopper, you know. And I like this part here. This is kind of nice, subtle little breakdown here. Yeah, I've been noticing more and more that that purple does that a lot. Is is that they're really rocking along and then they slow down for like a bridge or something. Yeah, we talked a bit about that on the Fireball episode, too. It just wasn't something I really noticed until we started doing this was that kind of formula they would do. This song isn't as hard hitting as some of those other ones where they just assault you and then dial it back for a really mellow guitar solo. This one keeps that same tempo and that same pace. Yeah, but it's uh, it's still formula that that formula of kind of slowing down after after they have a rock and start. nice short song it's only just a little over four minutes great for the radio yeah it's a nice break from uh, some of their longer more complicated compositions yeah there's a lot of them yeah so that's strange kind of woman I'm sure you know if you're listening to the deep purple podcast you've probably heard that more than once Uh, but really good song and uh, oh, do you have our, uh, our our song ratings open? Uh, let me see. I can't it will only take me only take me a second. I know what I will rate it now. I just wonder if it's the same as what I rated it originally. Well, initially, yeah. <laughs> they do change sometimes when you start once you start talking about them and really starting thinking about them. Hmm. Let's see. Can I guess what I what I rated it? Where the heck is it? Oh, here we go. Strange Kind of Woman. Yep. I, I guess that I rated it a four. You did, and so did I. All right. 
All right. Yep. <laughs> Four pilgrim hats, baby. And I also put some more formulas in my ratings so we can we can see what the biggest um, swing is. Uh, there's two new columns there. One is for like the total album between the two of us rating it. So we can get like a combined total for the best com- up as opposed as uh, that we both, both of our scores added together basically. Yeah. We'll give you a total score. And then there's a differential between our scores so you can see which albums we disagreed with the most or we're, or agreed with the most. So. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, I got it. So I don't think there's really enough in there to... Uh, go on right now, but as we as we get as we get a little further on, maybe we have some start having more of disagreement on the ratings for some of these things. We can see where where we're where our tastes are 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 spreading apart a little bit. Um, well, it looks like yeah, looking at the looking at the uh, variance here, it looks like there's a little bit. It's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, looking at um, there's like a little bit of variance through all the albums, but there was like basically none on. Like we were looked like we were dead even on Deep Purple and Concerto, mm-hmm. and our biggest variance was on the Book of Taliesin. And like I, so far, and it wasn't it wasn't by a lot, right? It was no point two nine. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's interesting uh, to see that. You know, I'd be interested to see when as we move into the later albums, and then also when we kind of branch out to some of the extended stuff. Like there, I'm sure there's. Uh, avenues down the deep purple paths that where, where you're uh, a little more keen on than me and vice versa. So that'll be cool to see. Mm-hmm. So another song included on this is a song called I'm Alone. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, this is a really nice... Uh... Like, I like before they break into, like, the song, like, they have that, like, John Lord does that organ part, and you can kind of hear the room. Yeah, Reverb yeah. a little bit. It's pretty cool. Apparently, this came from a, an instrumental that they played around with during the in-rock sessions called Grab Splatter. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I'm probably better off not knowing what that means. <laughs> but yeah, it's got a nice groove to it. I mean, it seems like with all of these tracks, they had enough enough material for uh, you know they could they could have included one or two more tracks on the album very easily because they got some really quality ones. Oh yeah, I mean. Um... I mean, all these all these additional tracks are like good enough to have been on the album. Like, I don't hear any throwaways. And they said this one was thrown together in an hour and mixed in the early morning. So, I mean, it's a very simple song. It's very short for Deep Purple standards. It's three minutes. That's like <laughs> barely qualifies as a song for Deep Purple. Even in a three-minute song, they can find a way to trade off organ and guitar solos. <laughs> Oh, it's just really great. It's just a grooving song. Yeah, it's excellent. I, I, I really... A lot of times I, I don't 
dig too much at like you know when I hear like bonus tracks I'm like well I can see why they didn't put that on the album but with with this particular album I think there's some really good material here yeah And this is one I would, I would just, I, I'm not a big fan of the bonus tracks, but I would leave this one on my mix for sure. Oh yeah, I used to. Yeah, I think the thing where I re- normally have a hard time with that is, is like you listen to the whole album and then it's like demos or remixes and it's like, I don't want to listen to a remix of a song I just listened to, you know, like yeah. the remixes aren't so different that it, it's necessary. You know, a little fade out there at yeah, the end. Yeah, exactly. Very... It's like the, ni- the 96 Roger Glover remix. It's like, who cares? <laughs> like, oh. uh, well, I mean, I don't, I mean, it sounds good, but I don't hear a huge difference. And right. uh, maybe it's it, good. I don't want to hear a huge difference. If you difference. sit there and really, f- if you A and A, B them and listen to one after the other and listen. Sure. You, you can notice some things, some panning differences, some EQ differences, but it's like, ugh, again, it's. Yeah, the song is the song, and you're listening to that. You're not necessarily being like, "Oh, the EQ on the bass is really cleaned up." Um, you know, if, if I if I, mean, I played you the whole regular album or the whole remixed album, you'd listen to it and enjoy it regardless, without really thinking about it. Exactly. So, so let me see. I'm alone. Got um, four hats from each of us, of course, because it's awesome. Yeah, four uh, that hats. is. Yeah, that's a that's yeah four, four pilgrim hats. In case you forgot what kind of yes. hats, and for in case you forgot our rating system, it's based on Richie Blackmore pilgrim hats. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's uh, when you said that that one made it into your mix. Like I used to when I got the originally got the CD. The like these bonus tracks were all in my like my um, my uh, what do you call it my playlist like if i listened to the whole album like these were definitely like in it too i wouldn't just like not listen to them right um it was just like oh yeah i can't wait for these extra songs because they're the the bonus tracks like you said are as good as anything that was on the album it wasn't just like ah this is garbage um because i mean i don't know (laughs) even deep purple throwaway songs are good yeah, around this yeah. around this time, you know. <laughs> well, like I said, they threw it together in an hour and recorded it, and then mixed it in the morning. I mean, if they can do that, like for for that song, which I think is great, uh, you know, yeah, I, mean, I can see stylistically maybe it wouldn't have fit on the album, but uh, can you make the argument that anyone's daughter fits stylistically more than that? Uh, probably not. Uh, but I mean, you know, just more proof that Deep Purple can crap out a song in an hour and it sounds better than some other bands. Oh, for sure. So um, I forgot to mention a couple of notes cause I'm, you know, we're, we skipped a week. So I'm like completely out of practice here. I don't even remember how to share screens or anything, but uh, for strange kind of woman to, to dial it back a little bit, there was a couple of cool things I wanted to note. One was that Blackmore tells a story in an interview with Neil Jeffries uh, about how, they wrote that. Remember we talked about how John Lord had to drive to London to get his wife and then he drove a sick baby back and the band was giving him all his crap because he was trying to care for a sick baby. Um, <laughs> so they... <laughs> what an um, awful story. <laughs> a bunch of jerks. Um, they, uh, he tells this, uh, Blackmore says, um, while Lord was away dr- uh, driving with his wife to tend to the sick baby, um, 
they wrote Strange Kind of Woman, and then he and Ian, Ian Pace said, or Ian Pace said to him, you don't think John is going to expect his name on the writing credits for that, is he? And Blackmore said, I'll bet he does. And sure enough, he said, Black, uh, Blackmore said he couldn't take Lloyd seriously after that because he's like, I can't believe he took writing credits. But even though they had agreed in advance that they would all share writing credits on everything, you know, um, and that is a tricky thing when, when, when you're in a band like, you know, I can remember being, being in a band and like somebody might take a song to you and maybe all you do is write a guitar part for it or write a, a bass line for it. But that really does change the character of the song. It's not the same as writing the song, but, you know, if somebody brought up a, a song to me and I just played the exact same chords as them, then yeah. But if I add some, if I syncopate the rhythm a different way or if I add something creative in the bass, then I think you should get partial writing credits, you know? Um Sure, but you don't dis- You don't agree. <laughs> no, no, I do. No, I do agree. I'm, You're like sure. No. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, do you want credits from some of the songs we wrote years ago? Yeah, um, give me. Yeah, I want all. The, I want none of the money that we I'll made. Tell, yeah, I'll tell you. I'll, I will split the royalties with you. <laughs> I'll give you fifty-fifty um, on everything I ever recorded. No, see, this is just more more proof of like how I don't realize how I can sound like a dick sometimes and not realize it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say you sounded like a dick. I just thought you, you sounded unconvinced, let's say. Um, <laughs> no, I I was unenthusiastically agreeing with you. I'm like, <laughs> you yes. Were unenthu- yes, sure. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, and just a reminder to uh, just a reminder to everyone, we record these very late at night and wake up at like four and five in the morning to go to work between the two of us. And John's <laughs> even an hour ahead of me. So uh, sometimes we're not at our, our, our most awake. At our last episode, we recorded it during the day and it was pretty nice. So we're trying to figure out a way we can do that more often. So yeah. we're not as, uh, uh, but you know, hey, uh, I find these days between work and kids and every other thing, you just got to find the times you can. And, you know, sometimes when I was uh, doing music recently, I'd be waking up at four in the morning before work to do it because you know what? It was either do that or not get anything creative done. And that was more preferable. You know, you kind of walk into work with a different feeling. When you wake up at four in the morning and you've been up for like three hours by the time you get to work, working on stuff, you kind of like, you view it a lot differently than just kind of wandering in like a zombie and getting to work, so... But then there's also those days too, which are just yep. which we'll both experience like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, another thing about Strange Kind of Woman, it was originally entitled "Prostitute." Uh, not a very subtle t- <laughs> title. Oh man, no. That's I'm glad they changed that one. That's uh, that has no that has no ring to it at all. No ring what's to it. Called? Not very clever. Um, what's what's this song called? Whore. You know? <laughs> what's Basically. it about? <laughs> What's it about? Well, I mean, yeah, you could say it's about a hua, you know, but it's like, but it's called Strange Kind of Woman. That's a little more uh, mysterious, artistic. Prostitute yeah. is just a little on the nose, don't you think? Uh, yeah, but then when you find out it was named Prostitute, you're like, oh, I guess the Strange Kind of Woman was just a prostitute then? That seems less mysterious. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's kind of like, it, it would be like, uh, if if it was like a horror movie and the killer was just walked into the room is like, I'm going to murder you now. You know, it's like that's not that's not cool. You gotta. Uh, I wonder the, what's gonna happen. Fo- <laughs> exactly. You know, the 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 camera pulls back and uh, you know focuses on the shadow or the somebody comes out of the shadows. It's like, um, 
you know, that, that type of thing. So, um, same thing with song titles and music and everything. It's, it's a lot more fun when it's subtle. Correct. And then the other thing about Strange Hand of Woman is Roger Glover mentions they had a 16-track machine, which uh, at the time would have probably been pretty uh, pretty cool. But they reversed the tape to do an effect, but then they forgot to flip it back around and erase some of the drums. So um, Ian's drum kit was already all packed away and on its way back to Europe. So they had to rent a drum set so he could do the drums again. Oh, man. So that must have been supremely annoying. Um, so the next song up... Uh, as we get back to it, is a song called Freedom, which is another album outtake. Oh, my art has gone away. What happened to my art? Oh, just look at this nice traffic cone. <laughs> the VLC <laughs> traffic cone. I apologize to all of our 12 YouTube subscribers. Uh, our podcast listeners won't notice any difference. Uh, so this was an attempt to create an encore to replace Lucille. So they were using the song, the cover Lucille as an encore at this point, and they wanted something to replace it. And that's what they thought this song would be. But they ended up eventually just going with Strange Kind of Woman in place. Well, this does have that kind of same type of, uh, now that you mention it, like a... Um, Lucille kind of swing to it. Like, I see what they were going for. That da na 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 Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense when you hear that part of the story. Yeah, that kind of like, you know, 50s, uh, 50s rockabilly type of feel, I guess. Or Yeah, yeah, it does kind of sound like that, you know, but I think Richie and Ian kind of pairing up do make it something a little different, but it is, uh, it does have that feeling to it for sure. But this is another one, like, just it, it swings, it rocks, great vocals by Ian, like. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you saw that? <laughs> yeah. I saw you trying to stealthily change it. Yeah, it didn't work out so well. the song again i i don't know yeah. stylistically would this have worked on uh would this have necessarily worked on fireball i don't know i mean knowing the album fireball now as we do these three songs wouldn't have worked but it would have been a would have been a cool album if they were on uh maybe in place of some of the more offbeat songs yeah or even you know in addition to them and if the track order was mixed differently, who knows? <laughs> Love that. It's just, he's bringing it all to the party on this one. It's great. He's going nuts. He really is. <laughs> and he doesn't really often go that crazy, no. but he's really... Uh... 
Especially at the end here. Oh, man. Damn. And John Lord bringing in the, I know, late in the song to mention it, but bringing in the piano really, uh... Yeah. Unusual to hear piano in this... <laughs> yeah. You can hear that, um, that Lucille trying to capture that feeling. Yeah. And it really, really works well. I, I think it's pretty cool, and I think it's wild how he did the whole last freaking verse in that falsetto yeah. or whatever, whatever you call it. Um, I, I'm trying not to call like when Ian does the high vocal screaming, because I know that I've heard recent interview with him and he was like um, Eddie trunk. And he was just like, when you do that scream in child in time or whatever, and he's like, it's not screaming. Yeah. Like, he was yeah. like really like pissy about it. And I mean, I can get it too, because it's just like, if he's serious about his art or his instrument or whatever, then I try and like refer to it as like his higher register or when he, I guess, hits the higher register or whatever you call it, because screaming would be like literally like like screaming, like with no melody or yeah. uh, talent, I guess. But um, I mean, for lack of a better word, if we do say screaming, I, I don't mean it, in a, of course, in a derogatory way. Um, to anybody that probably heard that interview or feels the same way. But um, I just think that Ian going into that register for a whole last verse, it, it reminds me of something that I think Steven Tyler did in like an early Aerosmith album. He did the same thing like with his, like, you know, the, the really raspy high, like, you know, at the end of Dream On. Where oh, he does yeah, that, yeah, yeah. He did like uh, maybe Toys in the Attic or one of those early albums. He did like a whole last verse in that voice. And it was just, I was like, whoa, that's like, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's like a little extra there, buddy. But uh, I don't know, Ian Gillen doing it. It's like, whoa, it's awesome. That That's a really good point. Um, it, there is something about the term screaming that has kind of like a derogatory connotation to it, you know? And it's it kind of like cheapens it or makes it seem like it's uh, uh, like anybody could do it. Right. Which is obviously completely false, because like if there's anything I could even sing by Ian Gillen at all, I'd be happy. But that sort of stuff is like the stuff that sets him apart and is the stuff that laid the groundwork for like, you know, uh, what was to come with, you know, bands like coming out like, you know, like Iron Maiden and, and bands like that or even, you know, probably anthrax to a certain degree when Joey Belladonna was in there, like just having those, you know, <laughs> screamers for the uh, lack of a better word. But yeah, it's not, it's like, it, yeah, it would be like calling the, you know, what you're doing on the guitar, just like, uh, I don't know, fiddling or whatever, <laughs> or like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good way of putting that. It's, it's not, it, it yeah, I mean, I've never meant it in a derogatory term, but it, yeah, it, it, it it definitely there's a huge amount of skill involved. It's not just um, you know like yeah I don't know I don't even know how to characterize it. But that's something to think about. Is you know I think vocalists I think vocalists in general get a bad reputation because it's it's viewed like that they don't have to try or they don't have to like exert themselves the same way as instrumentalists. And I I think. I don't feel that way. I think a lot of people do. And there's a, you can practice and you can rehearse and you can get better at vocals. And a lot of people just think like, well, you're born and you can sing or you can't, 
you know, mm-hmm. and that's just not the way it is. It's like anything else. Like um, you can, you, you practice and your voice is an instrument. And in a lot of ways it's, it's, it's more precarious because you have to take care of it and you have to, um, you have to act. You can't just go out there and start <laughs> screaming um, as loud as you can. You blow out your voice, you know, with the guitar, you could just go out and just start shredding immediately with no warm up, and you're not going to hurt yourself, but you could, you could do damage to your instrument if you, if you do that with vocals. So in a lot of ways, it's more delicate and, and more refined than even playing an instrument. It takes a lot more finesse. And I feel like vocalists, even though they get the recognition and they're usually the face of the band and, you know, they're the people that, you know, get the most attention, they don't get the most credit as being musicians. And that's not really fair. Yeah, I I agree. So what are our ratings on, um, what was was the song we just listened to? Uh, Freedom. Freedom. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Freedom. We both gave it a four again. Yeah, I really like that one. Four hats. Four hats, baby. Four pilgrim hats. Yep. All right, the next one up is is the song Slow Train. Really dig the opening to this one. Yeah. It's a weird vocal introduction though. <laughs> yeah. And you hear just John Lord just <laughs> tapping on just when he just hits hits the keys with his open palms and somehow makes it sound great. cool but I don't like it as much as the other ones yeah (laughs) that little middle section actually reminds me of the song Rain by the Beatles um, which I was trying to pull up but for some reason it's not working right now That's such a great heavy riff, though. I feel like they probably could have taken this riff port part and repurposed it with something else. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely cool. Sounds almost like Green Bullfrog. Like something that would be on Green Bullfrog. You just hear John Lord tapping away there. <laughs> you love that. It's great. It's like he could be a... And I did try fooling around with that. Like this part right here sounds like Rain by the Beatles. Very similar. So I did try hooking up my keyboard here to some like Hammond patches and like seeing if I could. I'm like, why does it sound like garbage when I do it? I'm just like tapping it with my hands. Because you're not John Lord. I'm like, 
It looks like he's just tapping him. He must. He just obviously knows what he's doing, but. This part sounds like Slow Train, you know, like the title Slow Train would apply to this. Yeah, the drum has a kind of like choo-choo, chugga-chugga-chugga-choo-choo. And the beat. organ sounds like the, the, the whistle of the train or whatever, you know? It's cool, they're doing a little more of a back and forth. Usually like uh, John takes a big section and Richie takes a big section, but they're just trading off like two or four bars or whatever. The song is, this is like a classic example of a bonus track where it's like really good ice song with really good ideas, but it, it sounds like it needed some work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I could see them doing this live and usually Ian would jump in though and try to switch off with Richie and... Keeps coming back to that riff. That riff's great. (laughs) I mean, John Lord started that percussive thing with the Hush single, you know, and he just keeps, he kept bringing it back, you know? I feel like when John Lord is doing like this, when he rakes over the keys, like he's very deliberate in it. Like normally when I see keyboard players do it, they kind of like use the back of their hand. And John Lord just kind of like smushes like his hand, like the front, like his palm just, it just looks very, the way he does it looks very clumsy. Yeah. But it's obviously not. And he sounds great doing it. It just, it, it, it just looks like when he's doing that, when he's tapping on it, it's like, What's coming out, the sound that's coming out does not match what he's doing. It just visually looks very odd. Yeah. Great ending. Slightly disjointed song with, uh, you know, just kind of jumping around. It's got that great opening riff. It's got kind of a, the verse, I think, is kind of the weakest part of the song. And then the... um, Solos back and forth were, you know, kind of just felt a little phoned in. And uh, that that Beatles rain part sounded really good. Um, I think they could have turned this into something really good. Yeah, I, I agree. There are a lot of good parts in it, but overall it's, it's kind of like, um, I don't like the, uh, too much the vocal delivery. No. Uh, when when Ian when Ian does that kind of stuff, I'm not really crazy about it. Like this kind of thing, or like uh, it's like it's like kind of like anyone's daughter, like the talking yeah, thing. Like, I was gonna, I was, yeah, I was yeah. gonna call a farmer's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone's daughter, that type of thing. 
I don't really like it that much. And even though I like the solo section, you could tell you like you could feel like it, it was improvised, like it was probably like a first take or something. Right, right. Um, which does it wasn't bad, but I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's better than we could do on a first take. But <laughs> yeah, but, um, um, but it wasn't one of their. Uh, it wasn't one of those. Like I remember this being the song and the like you said the the chorus to the uh, yeah. Uh, it's just like eh, you know it was never my favorite. So this was probably the one bonus track that I skipped over didn't really listen to as much as the other ones because it wasn't as much of a i guess like a rocker yeah yeah totally. as the other ones uh as cohesive as you had mentioned so we both gave it three and a half yeah i think that's fair i was wondering if that's what i had given it but yeah i would stick with that yeah. um this was it was written during a session at the hermitage when they were there kind of um working on stuff for the album mostly not working on stuff for the album um so maybe they could have worked a little harder on that one but not begrudging them their time off because they must have been after this epic 15 month tour for to support in rock they must have been absolutely fried so the fact that they could throw anything together was a miracle yeah um, yeah so that's that the next track is the demon's eye remix we're not going to get into any remixes it's it's a remix sounds good <laughs> it's demon's eye it's demon's eye you can take my word for it I don't want to speak for you John but I think it sounds good um, yes. Then they do yes. this weird one, um, which is called the the Noise Abatement Society tapes. Um, yeah, which I, is I kind of remember that one. Just goofing around in the studio. It's kind of fun to listen to. And mostly is just them, admittedly drunk, in the <laughs> studio messing around, kind of Richie and John throwing back and forth like old film and TV songs, and and Roger Glover I think is in there too, just kind of messing around on his bass. I wish I was Richie Blackmore drunk in the studio. I'd be a much better guitar player than I am now, sober in the studio. I'm drinking a beer, so I'm working on it. <laughs> this is a lot of a lot of discordant notes. It's there's a lot of funny bits in it. Just kind of imagining yeah. the looks on Richie and John's faces as they kind of go back and forth here is kind of cool. And Roger just trying to follow along, like, what the hell are you guys doing? Well, now I enjoy this even more that you told me that they were drunk. Yeah, that's something they get into in the in the uh, special edition booklet there. But stuff like this, again, not something you're going to just listen to on your drive to work and rock out to. <laughs> but from... <laughs> well, ending. But... From a historical standpoint, to just hear them noodling around in the studio is really entertaining. Yeah. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where the two Ians were during this, but... You can hear a lot of bad notes getting hit there. He must have been pretty drunk. (laughs) This this, this track is great fun. If you're a fan, just to listen to just once or twice. It's it's, it's a good time. (laughs) 
I feel like if I was Roger Glover, I just would have given up at this point and just packed my base <laughs> away and just be like, oh, I'm going to go get another drink. I remember Richie would play that a lot live, too. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is too good. And this is, you know, th these are great musicians at the top of their game. And when you're that good and that talented and that gifted, you're just always playing. I mean, you don't put your instrument down very much. And that's how you get good. Even when you're drunk in the studio and you shouldn't be playing, you're still playing. And Every minute you spend playing is a, a minute you get better and a, more practiced. <laughs> this is too much. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> John's like, ooh, uh, Richie's like, I didn't know you were going there. <laughs> oh, Ian's back. <laughs> Unless Roger just dropped his bass and went to the drums. Maybe, who knows? Which, by the drumming, sounds like he might have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not Ian Pace, unless he's really drunk. Oh boy, this is going off the rails really quick. You're playing a little uh, Brubeck again there. He's always going back to the Dave Brubeck. <laughs> a little fade out. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think I rated that one. I don't think you can give that a rating. No, I think um, you. I think you blacked it out or did an yeah, NA it was to just give like it a that's, rating because I mean, um, you don't rate that. Uh, it's, that's no, just it's, fun. It's not a song. It's just them having a little yeah. fun and uh, being a little drunk, <laughs> more than a little drunk. I mean, um, uh, five out of five for entertainment purposes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for having a laugh, yeah. But as far as replay value, you know, you listen to it a few times, you know, every couple years, come back to it just for, for a laugh. But yeah, you're not going to get much further than that. Um, and then after that, we've got uh, something sort of, I don't know that we need to listen to the whole thing, but the, fir the um, first take of Fireball. So it's the first take, just instrumental with no vocal overdubs. Oh, you know what? I like this. Definitely has a different feel to it. I like hearing it without the vocals. There's a lot of great videos on YouTube that separate out instruments. Um, one album in particular, uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. You can find all sorts of permutations of that. Like, here's just the bass and the guitar. Here's just the bass and the drums. Here's just the guitar and the drums. Wow. I find listening to that is just fascinating. You, you hear it in such a different light. And here you got another kind of example of that. This is the first take, not the one that ended up on the album, but them playing before Ian Gillen wouldn't have done vocals on it because they didn't choose this take. So, you know, that kind of gives you the idea. I don't know that we need to get too much. Did you want to listen? Wait a minute. Just another few, another few seconds. Okay.
Yeah. So good. It is really good. <laughs> Maybe we will let it play out a little bit. <laughs> I would love to just have the all the stems for the for these songs and just play around with them and just, you know, it's so amazing sometimes when you listen to just one instrument from a song you know so well and you're like, wow, it without all the instruments doesn't even sound like the song. Yeah, I know, right? It's a nice little drum break here too. They're just so tight, you know? Even yeah, from the get-go, when you're listening to the concerto, just how they how they can hit all those those hits with, with that orchestra with so little practice, it's just amazing. I mean, Ian Pace gets a huge amount of that credit for that, but they're all so rhythmically tight and together. So this is clocking in at a little over four minutes. I'm trying to see the original Fireball song here. The original Fireball. Oh, it's only it's three and a half minutes. So this is a little longer. Well, it probably doesn't um, probably doesn't fade out. Oh, is it? Yeah, is it a fade out on that? Yeah, I think so. One thing that I remember about this and that I like about all songs that are bonus tracks on an album that are like a first take or a take without vocals or anything is I love to sing over them. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great I'm, for like karaoke purposes or um, yeah, just just for fun and practice. It's great. Well, well, I remember especially this one. I'd be driving along and I'd be singing over it. And you'd be like, Magic Woman dragging the soul. <laughs> It's a tough one to sing over. <laughs> yeah, I'd be out of breath really quick. Oh, you can hear it kind of breaking apart here. Yeah, this is probably where they had faded out by. Yep. <laughs> As we talked about in a previous episode, too, there's a, a reason most songs with a fade out have a fade out. It's because it just falls apart at some point. <laughs> They say, well, yeah. we're not going to have a tight ending on that. Time for the fade out. There's some, <laughs> there's some albums that were just like every song fades out and you don't really realize it. I think like Michael Jackson Thriller, I think I want to say every song on that is a fade out, um, which is a little interesting because there was so much electronic going on there. I don't know why they would have had to fade out, but it's either A, you don't know how to end the song or B, something gets screwed up at some point and you just have to fade it out. Well, Thriller did not fade out itself the thriller song yeah yeah it might not have been that that's one that that did not but the the other ones i don't know actually it's weird because i was listening to some tracks off thriller over the past couple of days oh really and that's not something i listen to a lot well on my spotify it's got your um best of it's something like the best of last summer or whatever and it's really crazy which i enjoyed it because it like puts together probably you know between whatever I listened to last summer shows what was like on my most played list or whatever, or things that I probably um, had in heavy rotation or just stuff like that. Oh, and so cool. it was, it was, it was funny. It's like time hop for music. Yeah. 
but it was mixing up like the the craziest songs. It would be like it would be like tracks off Thriller, which apparently I was listening to, but then Megadeth or something. Like yeah. it was it was kind of weird. And then like stand up comedy, like a, a thing from a stand up comedy <laughs> album. That's when it started to go off the rails, and yeah. I would just like hit like forward, forward. So that's that's where it sucks if you listen to stand up comedy albums on Spotify. But um, but yeah. Anyways, I just thought it was weird because I never really think about the Thriller album and it's actually really good which has nothing to do with anything except <laughs> I just remember a while ago somebody had listened to it though like one thing that sticks with me and they they were like yeah like I haven't heard Thriller since I was a kid mm-hmm. and like me and my friend listened to it recently and actually it's just not that great it's just kind of like a really good pop album and I was like actually not really <laughs> Well, it's yeah, actually it, like it really, is a really good pop album. That's kind of the point, right? But I mean, it's not like they just thought like, oh, it's a pretty average pop album, not great. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of great. I remember uh, one of being one of the first albums I ever got, and me and my cousin who lived next door, she she was over, and we were just like bouncing up we had this like uh, fold out couch upstairs and we were like bouncing on that doing mama say mama sa mama kusa and um <laughs> and then for years just always it was one of those things where you know you you mishear lyrics and you you're like you know i'd always sing you're a vegetable you know and i was like oh that's it's so funny because it's like that's not that's it. not the real lyrics and then you look up the real lyrics and like no that's actually what he's saying you're like oh <laughs> i was gonna say i used to say that too yeah, like I, I for for my whole life, it was actually recently. Um, last year, I did this. I don't know if you're following on Instagram. I was doing these eight bit albums, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I did Thriller. So I would just kind of create a uh, using the uh, Nintendo um, all the music from all the albums made with Nintendo sounds. So, and I did Thriller as one of them, and I was singing along as I was. I'm recording it, and I'm like, "You're a vegetable," and I'm like, "It's so funny." Like. I've always thought that. I wonder what the real lyrics are, and I look it up, and I'm like, "Oh, I was right." Usually, I'm wrong in those situations, but uh, he was a freaking weirdo. <laughs> well, yeah. Was, unfortunately, a lot more things came out after that that, um, you know, well, things we always suspected. But anyway, we're not going to get into that. That's that's <laughs> Next. a whole. That's a can of worms we do not want to open. Um, Next, back to Deep Purple. Back um, to so, <laughs> but anyways, um, I would say. Oh, you know what? We we both rated the Fireball instrumental. We both gave it a four. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I Which think it's a, I I really like that. Um, and for a first take, I mean, come on, that's like holy crap. And I mean, I like I said, I love stuff like that because anything that is kind of a song like that, and you get to hear it without the vocals or the solos, stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to hear the rhythm of the song, how the song goes. Um, that um, without everything, or like you kind of get like a better sense for it, I guess. So you just kind of get to groove along to it, like instrumentally, which is really just cool to do, you know. Uh, and it makes you feel like you're sitting there for the first take, or you know what I mean? Yeah. And anytime you strip away anything, whether it's just the vocals or if you took out more, you just hear things that you wouldn't have heard before, and that's really interesting. But that's always something for me too. Is is like I've always preferred, uh, like studio outtakes, demos, first takes to like uh, things that are very uh, rough and 
less produced than the final cut, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, or the final produce. I mean, this, this, they're all still good, but it's like uh, I'm trying to trying to think of one. Um, uh, Motley Crue did a bunch of them, and uh, Theater of Pain is admittedly not a great album. <laughs> um, and a lot of it is production too, but like there was one of the songs where they just did it like stripped down. It was like sounded so much better than mm-hmm. the album version and the produced version. It's like I just listen to that version now. Right. I, I feel that way about Motley Crue and I feel that way about Def Leppard. I, I kind of, a lot of those bands in the 80s kind of lost me around that era, but I was like huge. Like Def Leppard at one point was like my favorite band, you know, like not a huge amount of time, but when I was, you know, a kid and hysteria just turned me off, you know, and I, which, you know, I'm definitely in the minority (laughs) because it turned a lot of people on, but there was something about how polished it was that just, even at that young age, just something about it just didn't speak to me. And the same thing with like Dr. Feelgood. And I think I would later feel that way about, you know, Metallica's black album. I, I did like kind of a little bit more of a, you know, not trying to be one of those pretentious a-holes, although maybe I am, um, who are like, <laughs> oh, I need it to be raw, you know, like I, I don't really need that. I just, there was something about that style of production, that late 80s plate mm-hmm. reverb on the drums and all that, that just like never really did it for me. I was much more into like the early, like on through the night and high and dry by Def Leppard, like that kind of raw, like we're a rock band, not we're like more of a polished pop band, you know? And I think if, you know, it's not necessarily that the songs are uh, bad by any means, but I think if they were produced in more of like a rock way or even probably hearing them just live would be uh, similar, which it could, I could maybe enjoy them a little bit more. Yeah, I think I agree with that as well. Um, I was a lot more, as we discussed previously, probably on and off episodes of how when you're younger, you're just a really a a jerk about music and Mm -hmm. uh, probably like very and not everybody. But I mean, I know I was very close minded and I was like the same way. I was just like like all those albums you mentioned, I did not like the slick Mm -hmm. 80s production on anything I really like the raw and everything and I still do but I feel like now I'm sometimes in the mood for that kind of stuff Uh, like the the Bob Rock uh, Ron Nevison uh, you know really slick polished keyboard type stuff like we're talking about keyboards and stuff like that like I had even heard like there was some and I can't remember off the top of my head, but some albums where I heard just like that comparing John Lord's keyboard to just like an 80s Casio or some <laughs> shit to like plugged in. And it's like if it suits like the 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 production, the song, the style, whatever the band was going for, sometimes, you know, you can rock out to it. Like if you're if you're in the middle of like an 80s night or something like that at a, at a club or a bar or something and, and you just get swept up in it, then you're just like, yeah, you know, like I, there were so many times when I used to go to like a, a retro night when I was like maybe 10, 15 years ago or whatever. And every Wednesday night, there was a retro night at this club that I like to go to. And, um, and then like eighties was the big thing to be retro. And now it's, I think it's, what is it? Is it nineties or early two thousands? Early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course that was the stuff we grew up with. So it's just like when they were playing like anything from like, um, um, Depeche Mode, Cindy Lauper, the Arrhythmics, mm. to to like Def Leppard, and like even the the heavier like you know poppy stuff from like the bands that we liked, 
um, that, that fit in with that kind of production or uh, that, that time or that period of time, it really got me going and it was great. But then like maybe the next day I would be like, okay, I want to hear something more hard rocking or whatever, because it was just, you know what I mean? When you're a kind yeah. of an insulated spotter. So like, it's, it's just like when you go to a concert, you get swept up in like whatever the, the vibe is. And I think it's, there's nothing necessarily bad about it because you think about it and like all these people are musicians and have talent and are putting together something cool. It's just right time in the right place for it. And the, the right audience, I guess. So yeah, that's, that's my take on it. I had a, I had a visceral like negative reaction to things like that for a long time. And now I can start to kind of look uh, only, you know, within the last five years or so I can start to look at that stuff for what it is from the time that it was in and appreciate it more, you know, like, like when white snake went mainstream in 87, you know, with mm. a self-titled album, you know, uh, that was kind of, that was my first introduction to David Coverdale. So when I heard David Coverdale was in deep purple, my, my mind was blown. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. And when I heard that, you know, uh, he, here I go again on my own was recorded years previously, you know, my mind was blown again, you know, to, and, and hearing that like original version and being like, wow, like kind of the difference with it. Cause John Lord was playing on the original uh, mm-hmm. version. And it's, it's very interesting to just to hear the differences. And now when I hear a song, like the song that I've really been coming back to a lot is, uh, uh, is this love, you know, which is an unbelievable song when you, you know, I heard it more recently on the um, live in Tokyo he does it with uh, uh, was it Adrian Vandenberg? I think so, yeah. And uh, and just like when you hear that, just a, a, an acoustic guitar and David Coverdale singing, you're like, oh, like wow, this is a beautiful song. It's just extremely well written and got um, a great melody to it. But you can lose a lot of that, like li- if you get caught up too much in that 1987 production quality. It, right. it turns it into more of that like hair metal ballad thing, which I wasn't super into, but now I listen to it and I say, wow, that is a really good song. And I um, was interested to find out recently, he, he wrote that for, um, for Tina Turner, uh, David Coverdale. I did not it, know that. Yeah. I, I was reading about it recently and it was kind of blown away that he wrote it as like a single for Tina Turner to do. For some reason she didn't do it. And he said, well, I guess I'll just put it on the album that I'm recording. And it <laughs> turns out to be like their second biggest hit of all time. You know, um, I can actually like, now that you said that I can hear Tina Turner singing it. Since the second I read that, I could, just, I was just like, wow, in my mind, I can hear it. I can hear her saying it. Like that would have been a perfect song. Like, uh, it's, mm-hmm. what a, a bad move to turn that down. That would have been a huge hit for, it would have been probably even a bigger hit for her than it was for them. Um, but, but, you know, again, you know, you're you're at a bar and there's uh, uh, maybe a block of 80 songs coming up and this comes on and you get swept up in it. Then you hear the 87 version and it's it's cool. It's really cool. Yep. Um, and yeah, there was like there was a time when I stayed away from like this album, like the the mid 80s Kiss albums, mm-hmm. um, just any any band that had that mid eighties, like polished type album, but I've, 
yeah, the past several years, I've gone back to them when I'm in the mood for that. And I really like them. And like after not ha- hearing them for years, like not hearing the White Snake album, the 87 album for a while, like at some point I came back to it and I was so unfamiliar with it. And I listened to it. I'm just like, damn, this rocks. Yeah. Because uh, it's just like, wow, John Sykes, you know, just like great guitar player. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And like, it's, just it's, the musicians on that and, and Coverdale's uh, vocals at the time, he was at like the top of his game and the, the songs were good and it was just heavy. And I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting this. And um, I was like, damn, I missed the boat, you know, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it's uh, easy to write it off. Yeah. It's, it's really easy yeah, to just uh, kind of dismiss it. And uh, there's just a lot of good stuff there for sure. Yeah. But that's, um, that's that's how I feel about that kind of stuff is I, I kind of almost like rediscovered some of it um, after kind of poo-pooing it for years. Um, so, but anyway. All right. Um, so there's only one more track to cover other than uh, another remix of No One Came, which I love that song, but it's a remix. There's not a heck of a lot to dissect in it. Um, and that is another little interesting tidbit from the studio here, which is we had talked about last time at the end of No One Came, there was some sort of mix up in this uh, in in the studio. So they took like uh, a section of the song and then looped it at the end and then come in after that kind of false ending. It kind of hits you back with the the band coming in bam, bam, and coming right back into that whole riff. And that is John Lord's piano that he plays back well he doesn't play it backwards <laughs> he plays it and then they flip it backwards obviously right um and this is the track played in normal with a slight effect on it it's got some sort of like leslie effect on it or something this is very short, only about a minute, but you can, if you want to hear the actual piano section in real time, this is what it would have sounded like. always a good way when you're doing a backwards solo you start with kind of those well you end with i should say those long drawn out bong bong so when you're listening to it backwards it just kind of fades in with these and then you can kind of you start off noodling a little bit more and then at the end kind of hit those single notes or single chords to kind of get a really cool effect on it um, from my own days of actually doing that with tape. And I remember flipping the tape over and recording and flipping it back <laughs> and to get that effect um, yeah. wow. with guitar solos and things. So hard to do back then with just kind of timing and everything. And now so easy to just kind of take that whole thing and just flip it around and get everything yeah. perfect. Um, so that's it. That's the uh, end of the of the tracks. I think this one's a little bit more in-depth as far as the bonus tracks than the in rock edition was i think it's got a really a lot of cool stuff only a couple of remixes it's got the demon's eye remix the no one's came remix 
and then everything else is uh, you know B sides and these little studio outtakes. Yeah, a great. So, let's see, Fireball, final ratings. Um, um, we we both gave. I liked it slightly less than you did. Um, so it's a. I gave it a three point six four. You gave it three point seven one. So there might have been a track or two on there that I like slightly less. So our variance is one of the one of the smallest. Thanks for that new column. <laughs> yeah. What's what's our, the um, variance between our two uh, rankings of the album? Point oh seven. Oh, that's pretty close. <laughs> but our rankings on this one, like our combined rankings, are like uh, one of the highest so far. Um, the highest being in rock, we gave an eight. Um, this one, if you round, we gave a seven. And then Concerto, oh, not Concerto, Deep Purple still beats it out. It's, oh, I'm sorry. Book of, wow, Book of Taliesin and Concerto get the same. Um, okay. We gave it a combined rating of six. And Deep Purple, self-titled is... Um, 6.75, or if you round up to seven, it's probably like still one of the highest. Mm -hmm. Um, and unsurprisingly, Shades of Deep Purple is like right there at the bottom of the bottom of the shit can. No, we haven't, we haven't covered bananas yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I've, uh, I'm not very familiar with that album at all, but uh, the, the word on the street is it's. Um, but I am very much looking forward to covering that stuff with an open mind and well, listening yeah. to it for what it is. You know? uh, yeah, I mean, if anything, this uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some stuff that I haven't heard in a while or stuff that I haven't heard at all. Because uh, admittedly, like after, God, I don't know. 94 like I don't think I've listened to any deep, new Deep Purple I think you were more in the uh, listening to like you had like that kind of you House of Blue Light and Slaves and Masters stuff you knew that stuff a lot better than I did and still do I'm sure yeah. um, I had gotten perpendicular when it came out and I listened to that a lot so I'm a, maybe a little bit more familiar with that but I'd say the n- early 90s Purple I am almost I, I almost don't know anything about yeah, Although I, know I do know like the, the uh, what, what's it? <laughs> it's just like that episode where we couldn't think of the name of the album. Uh, Nobody's perfect. Oh, yeah, which one? Nobody's perfect. I think right. Oh, okay. The, what, that the album, album I know fairly well. Um, yeah. Um, Those I don't know inside. Like these, I'm sorry, I perfect feel like, strangers. Perfect strangers. Perfect right? strangers. Yeah, <laughs> these I don't know inside and out. Like the '80s albums, I don't really like. The '70s albums, I know really well. Uh-huh. The '80s albums, I don't know. And as we go along, like to the later ladies, <laughs> ladies, ladies albums, <laughs> the later hey, '80s ladies. albums, um, I know them like less and less. I, I would hear them and like listen to them in the background. Like I remember putting on, um, like. House of Blue Light and stuff like that in the background, listening to it a lot just because, I don't know, just because, just because it was the, maybe the newest Deep Purple album I'd gotten at the time. I just remember um, you talking a lot of crap about House of Blue Light. That's what, that's my main memory of that album is you hating it. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. I wonder why I was listening to it so much. 
I feel like even sometimes like when I didn't like an album, I would still put it on a lot, maybe to try and convince myself that I liked it. Or maybe it was just the latest music I had from that band. So I figured maybe it was better than nothing. Well, I think I music was so much less disposable back then. I mean, think about it. You would save your money. You would go to the record store. You'd buy an album. And it's like you were committed to like, I'm going to give this album a shot, you know, like. You know, I, I bought this album. I spent my hard-earned money on it. I'm going to listen to it. I mean, it's the same thing today, although money is, you know, saving up, you know, $15 for a CD back then versus, or $12 or whatever the hell they were, um, yeah. versus now, obviously, we've got a little bit more money now in our 40s than we did when we were teenagers. Uh, but there's also, <clears throat> um, it music seems so much more disposable now. And it's so easy to just be like, yeah, I don't really like this. Moving on, and you know, yeah. and our attention spans have obviously become a lot shorter uh, through through technology. Where back then you were just like, you were you know hanging out or whatever. You just you'd put the CD on, or you'd put the tape on in your car because nobody had a CD player in their car back then. Yeah, and you would just you would force your in, the Beretta didn't have a CD player, did it? Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, John had a really cool Beretta, everybody. It was very cool. Um, so, like, you you would, if anyone knows what kind of car that is, it's a Chevy Beretta? What? Well, what kind of what kind of car was the Beretta? Um, no, it was a, yeah, it was a Chevy. It was a Chevy, okay, Chevy Beretta. I remember it just had the, um, the door handle, like, opening was on, like, the side, like, like where the, where the, where the seam between the, the door in the car were rather than like, yeah, that really, that confused the hell out of everybody. <laughs> Nobody knew. Like I had the weirdest car. Like apparently I was even back then I got the friggin' weirdest car. I remember like the back of my hand being in your parents' driveway there and just reaching. So it was a vertical sort of open rather than a horizontal, just opening that plopping down in that seat and then throwing in the tape for butterfly ball and just listening to that <laughs> on the way to Sam's or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, good memories. Uh, but anyway, yeah, music is is more disposable now. It's more, it's easier to dismiss. It's easier to, it's harder to get into, like an album than it was back then because you're you're not like necessarily buying the whole album. You're streaming it or listening to it on whatever service, and it's easy. Yeah. It's easier to just skip on past it or dismiss it. Yeah, yeah, because you're not really committed to it as much. Um, right, right, and I think that's um, you know part of the wonder and the greatness of the time we're living in now and kind of part of some of the not one of the negative parts too is that um the album is kind of being lost and to me uh, to run the risk of sounding like an old fuddy-duddy i really like to me the album the art of an album i want to listen to an album i don't necessarily want to just sit there and listen to a single or a, one song i want to listen right. i you know and some songs are enhanced by listening to them is as an entire album as a work of art rather than just listening to the single, you know? <clears throat> so you sound like a demon right now. I sound like a demon. <laughs> yeah. Your, your vocals are kind of messed up on my end. In the last episode, you were mentioning something about my vocals being messed up and they sounded fine in the podcast. So it should sound okay. Yeah. Well, you, you sound like literally like, <laughs> you sound like a demon right now. You're like, <laughs> you're just like, <laughs> So anyway, the next album is... I thought I was getting a little raspy. I thought maybe it was from that, but no, it's like some sort of... No, no. It's If you if you could hear how you sound right now, it's it's pretty terrifying. I wish I could. 
All right, well, I guess we're going to have to deal with that till the end of the episode. You might just be laughing at how I sound. Um, so we got a few things to wrap up with. We got in the news, we've got Mr. Ian Pace here. <laughs> he was um, performing with the Buddy Rich Band, and the decibelreport.com did a little review of the show, which is really interesting. Um I guess they were really, really strict. You couldn't have any photos, video, anything allowed during the uh, performance. But apparently it was really uh, amazing performance. There's a review. I'll put it in the show notes. Ian Gillen was there in the audience. with uh, uh, Apparently there were a lot of celebrities in attendance. So really cool to uh, see Ian Pace doing this. It's something he's been working on for a while with the Buddy Rich Band. So he uh, remains into his 70s, uh, a supremely prolific drummer. Um, also, the Artwoods Arts Gallery compilation is being released. Uh, for those of you that don't know, that's one of John Lord's first bands. And if you're watching, you can see just the top of his head peeking in on the bottom there um, yeah, without his trademark sunglasses. Uh, this is, it, it was compiled, compiled from three live BBC sessions uh, some really good stuff from that band. I really like what I heard from the Artwoods. Uh, some great work by John Lord, songwriting and performance-wise. The way to purchase this album is really weird. It's um, They recorded in the 60s, and it's like they made this website in the 60s because it's like, uh, I don't know if you remember, like in the mid-90s when you're on a website and you went to buy something, like you had to... You'd have to print out an order form and then mail it in with a check. You know, it's one of those sorts of situations. Like, come on, guys, just yeah. get some MP3s out there. It's not that hard. Uh, so, yeah, if you're really diehard and want to go through all that hassle, you can get that. And then lastly, I thought this was a kind of a cool sort of whoop, heartwarming story as I make Ian a little larger there. There's a picture of Ian Gillen sitting at a uh, what looks like a backstage somewhere with some cases of booze in the background and he's sitting there at a laptop like he's writing his novel in a Starbucks. Um, this, it, it, he had uh, donated, there was some local theater by him that was running into some trouble and couldn't, couldn't uh, needed some help. So he donated a bunch of money to rehaul their website and modernize it and things like that. Um, hmm. And the person, the director of the theater, it's the Marine Theater, this person's name is Gabby Rabbits, which is a pretty awesome name. Um, uh, she she said, our old website had run its course and we were finding it difficult to communicate with our audience and the community. The new website is responsive, user-friendly, and people can become members. We are very grateful to Ian Gillen for funding this important project, and we hope that everyone using it enjoys the new site. Ian Gillen says, I am delighted that to support the Marine Theater in its anniversary year. It does a fantastic job of bringing in names to the town while celebrating local performers. This new website is helping to communicate their important work to the community. So pretty cool stuff. Good to hear some some, some of the philanthropic uh, endeavors being done by, by Mr. Ian Gillen. And then lastly... We get to the, the historical parts here uh, of our episode. We are talking about the week that this comes out. This, this episode will come out on Ju July 8th. Um, and the week of July 8th through July 14th has some pretty big landmark events. Um, in July 10th, 1942, Ronnie James Dio was born. And here's a picture of Ronnie James Dio wearing a, 
uh, what appears to be a pirate shirt in some sort of neo-Renaissance library, presumably in his old home with stained glass windows and a Renaissance painting in the background. Exactly where you would think Rodney James Dio's uh, study would look like or whatever. Oh, um, oh yeah, beautiful. Very, <laughs> very cool stuff. Um, <laughs> another speaking of Renaissance, <laughs> uh, on July 10th, 1969, uh, Roger Glover and Ian Gillen played their first show with Deep Purple at the Speakeasy. And this is a picture of them dressed up like, what, what would you say, like the Three Musketeers? Looks like. Um, yeah, maybe they were just like, for a while, Richie convinced them to go into. <laughs> <laughs> he to convinced them to join Blackmore's Night. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you guys like, just try these on. Like, see, see what you think. I'm looking for a singer and a bass player. Um, yeah, it looks like Ian Gillen looks like D'Artagnan with the long hair, and he's wearing like a some sort of cape, and he's holding a sword. And Roger Glover is holding onto the same sword, wearing like a uh, I don't even know what to call that jacket, like a felt, puffy felt hat. But I don't know. I have no context for this photo, what was going on, but it's pretty incredible. And then uh, on July 9th, 1970, very fittingly, Fireball was released. Um, so we spent a lot of the last two episodes talking about that album. Uh, in sadder news, July 14th, 1973, Roger Glover quits Deep Purple officially uh, about two weeks after... Uh, after Ian Gillen had. Uh, we also talked about how Richie Blackmore had told Roger he wanted him out of the band, um, or Roger was told that Richie wants him out of the band, I should say. Uh, so whether he you know, he kind of quit prematurely or whether he was fired, it's hard to say, but we know that that has a overall happy ending, so not as sad as it could be for one of my favorite members of the Deep Purple family. And then lastly, in on July 9th, 2006, uh, John Coletta, the longtime manager, financial supporter of the band, uh, passed away in Spain. This is a picture of him looking like a typical um, uh, manager with a tie, holding a cigar, hanging out there with David Coverdale, who looks like he's about to punch out who's ever taken the picture, um, and probably drunk at the same time. Uh, very kind of cool-looking picture. And then there's another great picture of him. <laughs> it looks like John Coletta in this picture just like went and killed a polar bear and uh, used its skin to make a jacket. And Richie Blackmore is holding his guitar and looking at him in a very uh, skeptical manner. It looks like Richie Blackmore meets Don Knotts. <laughs> he does. He does look like Don Knotts in that photo. I think the suit and tie look with the cigar was a better look for him. So the Mark III, a John Coletta look was a little better than this this weird fur jacket he's wearing. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's just like, you could you could just picture him here being like, why do you want to play that medieval music, Richie? <laughs> just stay with the band for a few more years. Come on. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, some good landmark dates there. And then lastly, we do have a Deep Purple Deep Track for the day. And this one is coming to us from one of my favorites. And that is a very, very young Johnny Gustafsson. And this was recorded in 1965. 
And this is an original written by Johnny Gustafsson. So they were kind of promoting him as a uh, as a solo act at that point. Unfortunately, Nate, I can't really hear this uh, that well. It's distorted, just like your vocals. Oh, okay. Yeah, bummer. Well, when the episode comes out, you will have to uh, have to really give that a good listen. It's a really good. It's got horns. It's got Johnny Gustafson just belting it out. Uh, again, 1965. This would have been in the, the the peak of the the Beatles starting to come on the scene years before Deep Purple. Johnny Gustafsson was big in that Liverpool scene, actually playing at the Cavern uh, where the Beatles used to play. Um, and he did this solo thing. He was also in a band later called the Big Three. Uh, did a lot of did a lot of other things. Um, really interesting musician. Love his uh, love his work. Love his voice. Uh, would later be in the Ian Gillen band um, as the bass player and uh, a number of other things. Quatermass, of course, who we talk about all the time. Uh, really great bass player and, and vocalist who sadly passed away a few years back. So That is today's Deep Purple Deep Track. And we, uh, we may not be having Deep Purple Deep Tracks every single episode anymore. We were talking before the show. We're probably going to, with these big albums and coming up next, Machine Head, we're going to really want to focus on that and dig deep into that so we might scuttle the news segment and the comment segment and the and the Deep Track segment and just reserve those for kind of more specialized episodes like today's, um, today's episode um, so we can really, really dig into the music. So... And uh, that's uh, all I got for today. You got anything else for me before we close it out? Uh, nope. I'm good. Right, putting you on the spot there. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have anything else. All right, then. Well, with that, we will uh, close out yet another episode of the Deep Purple Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Oh my God. I was talking to somebody about that the other day. I was just like, they're like, I'm from an island, Long Island. And I'm like, bitch, did I say long? <laughs>